This episode is a first for us because we've had to go back and do two addendums to our original podcast opening in light of the massive news in tennis today. Yeah, I'm honestly getting a little bit tired of sitting down and recording this same episode over and over again. I know, I think you're just very turnt at what this means for Serena being gone for the rest of the year, at the very least, and also... You're going through the stages of grief. Let me tell you, let me tell you, Serena is getting on my last goddamn nerve all day. And from my perspective, I'm having a very rough day dealing with your moodiness. Well, I'm sorry, I can't help it. So we recorded last night. I'm all ready to come home from my long ass day at work to get this episode out. And we have to deal with the Snapchat drama. And now we have to deal with the fact that the pregnancy has, in fact, been confirmed by Serena's camp. She's out for the rest of the year. Supposedly, she's coming back in 2018. Two things. You will hear the first addendum that will follow this one, just so you can get a little bit of a glimpse into what we went through in real time today. But also consider, James, that with the timeline, baby Serena could be born on your birthday. I really, it'll, it'll be a fall baby. That's uh, that's fine. <laughs> I'm trying to give you a silver lining here. That's not a silver lining. My birthday is my own. Oh my god. And Queen Elizabeth I. On subsequent episodes, on episode 78, we will be delving in, we will be dealing with this in more detail as to what this might mean for the WTA Tour and women's tennis for the rest of the year. It's still all very fresh and we've got a lot to talk about on this episode already. But yeah, this is where we're at right now. It's 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 shocking. Today you you told me that you were surprised that I wasn't more shocked and shook mm-hmm. by the news and I think it's it's finally starting to sink in a little bit now that it's real. Right? Like what does the rest of the year look like in women's tennis without Serena or without the specter of Serena? Serena dropped this news on Maria's birthday, and it really is the greatest and most generous gift that she could have ever given her. Because people were like, oh my god, Serena's trolling Maria. And we even talked about that in the second intro. (laughs) Which you'll hear shortly. (laughs) But in fact, now that it's real, this has opened up a wide open vacuum for Maria to just sneak right through. Maria has stepped in shit and come out smelling like roses. Yet again. Is that your hot take? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how could she ask for a, a better return? And let me tell you, I see you, Maria. I see right as the news is being confirmed on Twitter, Maria is there retweeting stuff about her birthday. Oh my god, thank you. Like she do when it's somebody winning a Grand Slam that's not her. <laughs> you know, she got some product to promote right when somebody's on the victor stand getting that trophy i mean it is actually her birthday like i mean if for once it was actually her thunder that was stolen (laughs) because it is her 30th birthday as well you're going through all the emotions now because now you're up in here defending maria sharapova yeah because serena has got me so fucked up like she really does but you know happy for her are you happy for them i know i i will be this is obviously something that she wants a baby is wonderful news, and uh, I will be happy for them, just not now. And if you think that you're here doubting whether she's going to come back in 2018, however, this is a woman who won a Grand Slam 
while she was eight or nine weeks pregnant without dropping a set. Mm. I'm not doubting whether she can come back. I'm doubting if she will. And I think it could do wonders for the various ailments that she's had over the years. The shoulder, the knee. I mean, childbirth is no small potatoes. Like, it's a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. But perhaps it's a, a good chance for her to prolong her career and come back ready like Federer did six months off in 2016. And he comes back this year and he's playing like gangbusters. Okay, we'll see. It has been done before. So what follows is our first take on the pregnancy rumors when they were just rumors because we want you to we want to take you through our emotional journey today <laughs> because now a lot of what will follow is actually irrelevant but we're going to include it anyway because i'm sure a lot of you all went through the exact same things so hopefully it'll be a little bit cathartic so this is just a bit of an impromptu intro because we've already recorded the episode and then we're supposed to edit today but we wake up to news that possibly serena williams has answered the question of where will we see her next in her maternity bed this is an emergency guys i don't know why you sound so calm i'm not calm at all yeah you're you're freaking out to say the least so here's the 411 if you've somehow missed it she posted on snapchat today a picture of her big belly said and it said 20 weeks it's not that big she could have been pushing it up this is why i'm given some hope Mm -hmm. so i still think it's a joke like it's a food baby you're holding on hope Mm -hmm. i heard that there was a taco in the picture as well isn't there always (laughs) so either the baby's a taco or she's just saying that she maybe she ate too many tacos and that's why she's you know having a big belly right now that's what i think i mean legit news outlets ran with this right away citing snapchat as their only source and how is this where journal sports journalism is it's the ultimate troll right because serena's always skirted regular media Mm -hmm. it's not her bag and so it makes perfect sense that if she were to announce her pregnancy that she would do it on snapchat like that is her that is right up her lane now evidence four is the snapchat is the fact that no sort of contradictory news has come out of the Serena camp and that Caroline Wozniacki liked a tweet about Serena's pregnancy, supposed pregnancy. And, uh, you know, we'd assume that the friend would know. You're saying that she's, haha, it's a joke and she's liking the joke? Or it could be, yep, I'm her best friend and I know. Supposedly the WTA issued a congratulatory tweet and then deleted it. I saw Christopher Cleary try to confirm with the WTA and they said, we haven't heard anything. Nobody's heard anything. Nobody's been confirmed one way or the other. Mm. This may change by the time you listen to this. So keep that in mind. Also, some of the stuff we will say later in the episode may be obsolete. We were were speculating what to expect from Serena throughout the course of the clay court season. And you referenced Lindsay Davenport saying that she doesn't think Serena's going to play. Do you really think Lindsay was the one to have this info? All this time? No, no, I don't think like so. Like, what, what made her say that? So the WTA is not sure. I guess that means Serena hasn't notified HR yet of her <laughs> maternity leave. <laughs> so the evidence against is, I was just looking through her Instagram, and six days ago, she posted a picture of Kelly Rowland's book about motherhood and said, I'd like to become a mother someday, 
but for now it's just my baby chip mm. so I, I don't know either way she's trolling us whether it's true or not well also this is maria sharapova's birthday and if serena williams is not pregnant this will be the height <laughs> of pettiness like we've lived for serena's pettiness in the past with regard to maria and it's entirely possible that this was coincidental but my word yeah i don't i don't buy it i think it was coincidental i don't think that she knows maria's birthday or endeavored to look it up i think she has friends who are very shady boots who would be keeping her in the loop even if she isn't she posted on instagram a few days ago this picture about with a friend saying we're shady and petty or something like that maybe they were concocting a couple <laughs> days ago the past few years for serena has been about letting go right letting go of old resentments of anger um, kind of letting love in. I just want to say, like, we didn't mean to let go this much. <laughs> <laughs> if Serena is pregnant, more power to her. Like, I don't think it's necessarily the end of her career. You are panicking in that regard that this, and mm -hmm. I see a lot of people panicking that I'm not ready to let Serena go yet. Thinking that, well, 35 turning 36, this is it. I just, I can't even think about it. I haven't accepted this news at all. Like, I'm not even accepting that the pregnancy is real yet. If she is pregnant, obviously, she's a real person, she's a human being, she has a life, and the right to make these choices. But if this is the end of her career, it's going to be devastating to me. At, and the idea that this is the end of her year, even, is devastating. We've talked ad nauseum on the podcast recently about how the, the lifespan of an athlete's, of a tennis player's career has changed in the last few years. And it's something I asked a lot of the players in Charleston recently. And maybe this is part of it. Part of being a woman and a tennis player is, well, if you want to have kids, when do you have them? Do you retire at 28 and then plan the rest of your life? You know, mm -hmm. we're seeing now that more and more, and by more and more, I mean Vika and now possibly Serena, get pregnant, have the child, and come back. That it's not necessarily the end. Right. And of course, male players don't have to think about this. Federer has four kids and is playing some of the best tennis he's played in a decade. It's just, it's not the same commitment. It's not the same impact upon your body, obviously. But I'm just, I'm not convinced that Serena is done yet. She, when she was younger, she talked about looking forward to being done with tennis and ending her career early but i'm just not convinced i know that she wants those 25 you know this. she does <laughs> this is still all speculation i know in the meantime you're just gonna have to panic and worry and try and rock yourself to sleep tonight <laughs> <laughs> you mean cry myself to sleep <laughs> I mean, I people overuse the word shook, but I am shook so hard, like I have a major concussion. Again, this is all speculative, but we really could not let this day pass without a comment. We also couldn't release an episode on a day where this news has come, potentially, and totally ignore it. But we do want to put that asterisk and that disclaimer that we are speculating, just like everybody else at this point. So what follows is our original episode, and please take with a grain of salt any predictions about the women's game 
going into the clay season. All right, well, here's your regular intro to the episode. She's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 77 of The Body Serve, 23 away from 100. Is there a countdown? We might be getting into countdown territory. I feel it. I feel 100 coming on before the end of the year. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. By the way, I'm James. <laughs> uh, and I'm Jonathan, if you don't know by now. <laughs> <laughs> happy Easter, everyone. Um, belated happy Pesach. Uh, we somehow survived Easter weekend and Good Friday. We had I had a really funny co-worker really upset that people were acting so happy on Good Friday because it is a rather solemn occasion. That I, yeah. <laughs> 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 that moment where religious folk can't take a joke, you know? Mm. We had a, a visit from your parents this weekend. We saw the Book of Mormon again for the second right. time. My dad saw it for the first time, and I think he really enjoyed it. He, I don't think he's ever voluntarily seen a musical production before, aside from like our high school productions. And I think he was chuckling. He enjoyed the uh, vulgarity of the show. Well, it had been what, maybe two years since we saw it? Mm. Maybe even three at this point. And we definitely forgot how vulgar it was. Because we're like, yeah, apart from that one scene, that one number, it, it should be fine. <laughs> but then it was that one number and then another one and then right. 10 more right i enjoyed it just as much this time though and it was great to have my parents here they're from rochester new york and we're in toronto so you know it's it's a three-hour drive but you have to cross the border and people have lives so it it doesn't happen often enough seeing book of mormon on easter weekend added a, another layer to it as well too right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i woke up on sunday morning and I walked into the living room where everybody was already up, and I was like, he has risen. Mm. <laughs> and it, it took a little while for folks to get the joke, and we but were they like, got it. we were like, oh shit, it's Easter. <laughs> <laughs> we have officially entered what is typically our favorite part of the year, the clay court season. Last year, not so much, because of all the horrendous rain and the horrendous results. <laughs> at the French Open. Well, but Rafa did win Barcelona and Monte Carlo. He did, but then he had to to withdraw mm -hmm. from Roland Garros in the third round, I think, with an injury that complicated the entire rest of his season. Doubles gold notwithstanding. Right. And so we are back in the clay court swing with Rafa once again lining up La Decima. Uh, one of them. Yeah. One like... of the potential tenths. The other one being Monte Carlo, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we're Rafa fans. We have that in our mind's eye. We want to see that happen. Fine. What else is happening that we should be looking out for this season? A lot is happening just this week. So, Monte Carlo is a Masters 1000. The draw, it, it goes without saying that the draw is super loaded, right? All Masters draws are loaded and very difficult because they're smaller. 
It's probably slams. less loaded than most because Roger is not there, right? Right. Roger is not there, but the number one and number two are back. Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic are back. Nadal is playing. Stan, Songa, well, who already lost. And really, all all of the characters except for Federer are going to be there. And so I think Monte Carlo is going to be very instructive in how the clay season is going to set up from here. And it's, you know, it's similar red clay to Paris and to Rome. Madrid is kind of the outlier here. So I think Monte Carlo can tell us a lot about how the season is going to go. I think you're putting way too much weight on Monte Carlo. I feel like a lot of these players are still getting their feet wet on clay. And especially with the major contenders for the French Open in, at this point, Rafa, Novak, and... uh and Murray, mm-hmm. two of the, well, all three of them have question marks. We're still waiting to see what Rafa's form will be. And Andy and Novak are both coming back from injury. So I don't think we can hold any of those three to their results in Monte Carlo, necessarily. And then, of course, Stan. Stan could miss the entire swing and show up and win the French Open. This is very true. He's someone who form doesn't really seem to matter, but... I think that Novak has a lot to prove. He is coming back from injury, which is rare for him. He's he's rarely injured, or at least is rather he's rarely sidelined with injury. He often plays through it. But before we knew about the injury, it was clear that a lot of his mojo had been gone. Uh, he was just having trouble competing at the very, very peak of his powers. Because 60% Novak is still better than basically everybody. Almost everybody. So there, I think there's a lot of pressure on him to not only play well, but to sort of show that he's happy on the tennis court, if that makes sense. Because a lot of the criticism has been, oh, it just looks like such a slog for him. And to me, that should be so understandable for someone who's been in the game for so long, who's been at the top for so long, that you're not always going to love it. You talked about the draw being really loaded and... One of the the subsets of that is Rafa has a really tough draw, which I've now learned in my old age just not to pay any attention to that stuff. (laughs) Right. I suppose that we have to mention it Uh, when we're previewing big tournaments. There's Zverev and Dimitrov in his quarter, and he would have to face Novak in the semis or Dominic team. Uh, But I mean, this is a Masters. Everybody's there. You know, what can you ask for, really? More than anything, I'm just looking forward to the vistas from the European clay court swing. Monte Carlo, gorgeous. Oh my god. Is there any better stage in tennis than Monte Carlo? Overlooking the sea, it's uh, it seems to be perched up high on some kind of precipice somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's overlooking the tax shelter. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually they'll move on to Rome, where uh, the the night pictures that come out of the Rome Masters every year are just some of the most breathtaking tennis pictures you'll see all season. Mm-hmm. And we can actually thank the fascist obsession with Roman classicism for the uh, Foro Italico, <laughs> because that was really a Mussolini's sort of revival of ancient Roman ruins that that went into uh, creating these amazing sporting venues. And the, you know, the Olympic venues in Rome are kind of an extension of that, even though it was post-fascist. Just a little tidbit there. So Rafa is going for 10 in two places. We don't know if 
Federer is going to be playing the French Open at this point. Just today, he came out saying that, yes, it's still in the plan, but it might not happen. He may reassess things in a couple of weeks and decide to skip play altogether. Because he has previously told us that he didn't intend to play any lead-up tournaments and that he would just show up in Paris. Right. But now it seems that not playing the French Open altogether is on the is on the table. Yeah, so he was very clear that he's definitely not playing any tournaments before Paris. But uh, now he's saying, give me some time. I haven't decided about Roland Garros yet. At his age, obviously he has to choose the schedule that's best for his body. He played a lot in the early part of the season, probably more than he expected. So he probably needs to rest up that old back. I fully expect to see him there. I can't imagine a scenario in which a healthy Roger does not play a Grand Slam tournament. Mm -hmm. I agree. He's not at the place where this is Andre Agassi and his body's breaking down and he's playing, you know, only the majors that he wants to, like he did in 2006. This is uh, Roger Federer who's playing like the best player in the world. And Clay is his weakest surface, but if you remember, even when he was losing to Rafa all those years, he was very clearly, by a country mile, the second best Clay player in the world. Like Beyonce said, such a big ego. <laughs> like, I just do not see the ego allowing him not to play in Paris. Mm. I just don't see it. We got an Instagram message this week as well from Petra Kvitova. Who, who we did, like the body yes, serve? Yes, we did, we did. <laughs> the world at large and the body serve. Quite surprisingly, because I don't think anybody would have thought it possible that Petra could play at the French Open. But she said, hey, you know, just so you know, the entry list is going to come out for Paris. And you're going to see my name on it. And it doesn't mean I'm playing, but it means that I would love to. And if it happens, it happens. Mm -hmm. Basically, it, it doesn't mean I'm not playing either. So she said she's doing everything possible to be ready as soon as she can. If that means entering Roland Garros, then so be it. But I, th I think that we, as well as the rest of the tennis world, were pretty shocked at the speed of her recovery. Who are some of the other maybe non-big, big-name players that you think could do well this clay court season? Mm -hmm. Well, I think... Uh, there are people like Pablo Carreno Busta out there who have been playing well this year. Roberto Bautista Agut. Dominic Team is, uh, I guess, more of an obvious choice. But, you know, he's lost a little bit of that that momentum he had last season, early in last season. But I think Clay is where he feels really comfortable. I agree. I think this expectation of a regression for Dominic is maybe a bit overstated. His game clearly suits and lines up well on clay. Those extra revolutions that you get on the ball, the extra spin. I witnessed it and felt it personally when I played for the first time <laughs> on clay. And that's just green clay. Right? This red stuff is wicked. Like, I can't imagine what it's like to be able to, to have to return on the other side of the court from somebody who is putting that much action on the ball. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's young enough to where we should expect him to continue to get better. So if he's able to overcome the potential pressure of having to defend all those points from last year, because I believe he's also defending a semifinal at Roland Garros too, right? right? He got rolled over by Djokovic pretty easily. Yes. If he's able to put that out of his mind and just focus on the tennis, I think he could have a standout uh, month and a half. 
I agree. I think his game is naturally suited to Clay. I think that we also will be hearing something from Grigor Dimitrov, who plays really his game translates well to all surfaces, I think. Even someone like Nick Kyrgios and uh, possibly Alex Verev. This is a, an age where there are fewer and fewer clay specialists, and the the big-time players are more comfortable playing on all surfaces, right? So those huge power games may adapt well to the surface because you kind of need a kill shot on clay these days. A kill shot? Yeah. <laughs> is that is that not a appropriate i don't know i'm just word. not sure i'd ever heard you say that oh, before okay basically you need a shot that can end the point okay <laughs> <laughs> what do you make of steve johnson winning the u.s clay court in houston i'm not really sure i it was a fairly surprising result in houston i would say i'm not sure that the the results that the u.s clay court champs really always translate well to the european swing you know, because the American players generally do pretty well in Houston. Andy Roddick played well there. To that point, it just seems that there are only Americans playing that tournament. You know, so That's the, the chances of an American winning are much greater there than other clay, clay court events. True. I think most of the other players are probably in Europe getting ready for the big important tournaments that are about to come up. Because it is a real slog over the rest of April, all the way through July. But I also do think that this idea, this narrative of American players being complete rubbish on clay, it's something that we're moving beyond. And it's something that, while I was in Charleston, Courtney Nguyen asked a lot of the American players there that quite a bit. And specifically, Shelby Rogers, who made the semifinals, was it, or quarters last year in Roland Garros. Mm -hmm. Like, she has... A big time clay court result. Madison Keys made the Rome final, was it, last yep. year? Yep. Steve Johnson wins the US clay court tournament. You can see where somebody like Jack Sock could have decent results on clay if he puts his mind to it with the action that he puts on the ball. Even John Isner has had decent results, better than anyone could have expected. Like, this is not the, the Sampras, woes me, I can't get past a semi at the French Open type situation mm -hmm. anymore i think it's it's far more open in this age where like you said there isn't that much of a a clay court specialist type situation going on on the woman's side who are you looking for will we be playing where's waldo with serena well <laughs> i know i mean i'm looking for serena i don't know if i will find her so beyond serena I know, but before you move on oh. from Serena, like, it's a serious thing. Where in the world is Serena? Well, a couple days ago, it seemed like she was at Crandon Park practicing. Mm -hmm. Or maybe she was just watching Jill play some tennis. Right. I don't know. <laughs> it was just Jill's practice. But she Snapchatted Jill hitting a few serves. And we don't know if Serena was actually playing. And then today, it seems like she may be in Mexico. We I, don't know. She was just Snapchatting Venus's lack of pants. Which you asked her about in Charleston. Mm -hmm. And it just continues to happen. We know that Alexis bought her a bike with a Taco Bell. Oh my god. <laughs> and she's since taken the bike out on the road. She's been videoed on that bike. Really? Yes. That's so strange to think of Serena Williams riding a bike. She's living her life how she, she wants to right now. And they seem very in love. Are you up in their bedroom? No. 
I mean, on Snapchat, it just seems to be like everything's going well. <laughs> you know, he's he's calling Venus sis and everything, and she's abiding it. So well, we know that white people love to call people sis. No, it's but, like their new favorite. But thing. like literally, literally <laughs> sis. <laughs> It's not like a fam situation. It's, Sis and fam. It's actually it's, Venus, my sister. It's the most favored cultural appropriation of white people sure in is. the last couple it of sure years. It sure is. How surprised would you be with this impending Sharapova return that Miss Maria would go on to win this tournament? Which tournament? Roland Garros. Oh, we are not there yet. I'm just like, saying. Like, Stuttgart hasn't even happened yet. I'm just saying. Well, the thing is, I really need Serena to be at the French just as an extra layer of security. Do you know what I mean? I don't, like, I don't need Maria getting on a roll and intimidating all these girls out here and just waltzing on off to the title. Because that story will, will definitely force me to take a break from tennis. I will not be able to deal with that. If Maria goes on a win streak? Yeah, because you know that bullshit narrative that's going to come from that. That I'm sure she's already crafting. There's yeah. already a Sugar Proba name for it. What is it called? It's called Sour Grapes. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> As in she'll be forcing all of us to eat sour grapes? Yeah. Is that it? She'll be lassoing all these girls. Miss Mladenovich... Miss Wozniacki, all these women who spoke out of turn against Sharapova, mm -hmm. you best believe she has, she's gunning for them. Yeah, because the sisters Williams have been very diplomatic, and Venus has gone even further than diplomatic into the realm of sympathy. Yeah, she was like, well, you know, I've learned that one thing doesn't define somebody's career. <laughs> like, well, like, leave it oh, to Venus. Okay, girl. Leave it to Venus to put this whole thing in a whole other perspective. Right. That we can live with. <laughs> Regardless, we do have to talk about Maria. Maybe not now, because the comeback hasn't happened yet. But it's it's going to be a very real story in tennis. I, w I will be curious to see how she plays. Um, and also how she's received I don't think there'll be much negativity involved, to be honest. I think the tennis media is fairly monopolistic and will be celebrating her return. Like, that'll be uniform as far as the, the media go. Yeah, but within the locker room, the lines have been drawn from certain segments, right? Oh, yeah, like, but, will they, but will they stand up when she's right across from them in person? I'm or will sure they say, well, I guess she served her time. She's back. We just have to accept it. There are certain players like, uh, say, Alizé Cornet, who will pull out every trick out of the bag to throw her, to throw her off her game. Oh, my Lord. And Laura Siegemund? <laughs> These two will, like, invent new distractions. But aside from Maria, I'm looking to Simona Halep. I know. I know. Once burned, right? But Simona is... An excellent clay player. I think she's been forgotten a lot recently because the results just have not been there. But not very long ago, she was a top player, the number two player in the world. But she's also been injured a lot. Right. With Serena being number one again this week and people making all these jokes about, oh, this is what Serena did to get back to number one and it's her painting her nails, it's her 
dancing somewhere, anything but being on a tennis court, right? Mm. The the takeaway from that is number one is very much up for grabs for the rest of the year. It's something we've known, but but aside from that, it's been assumed that eventually Pliskova is going to be the one to do it. Mm. That she's going to be the one who is consistent enough to by mid year or come at the end of the the hard court season, she's going to be the one who's number one and possibly by at at year end number one. But I think we're we're totally overlooking Simona Halep. Because as it stands, she's only two thousand points behind Serena. How like how is she still number five? That's what I, I was very surprised by this, and I think she is primed to have a bit of a comeback. And if she does, she'll have lots of points to add to her total. Whereas some of the women above her will be losing a lot of points, mm-hmm. even with this gap so small to begin with. Yeah, I'm I'm not convinced that. Pliskova is going to string together all these results for the rest of the year because she has big points to defend in late summer. So I will believe that when I see it. I think that we, I mean, we can't overlook Svetlana Kuznetsova, not for number one, but for having a big time clay season. Madison, you know, Madison is coming back from injury. She's still getting a feel for being back on court. But like you said, she was a Rome finalist last year. Caroline has been a finalist it seems many times this year, and uh, I don't think that we can sleep on Sam Stozer. In theory, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. And she had such a fabulous clay court season last year, even making the semis of Roland Garros. But she has so many points to defend. It's crazy how many points Sam has to defend, and mm-hmm. I just don't know how how much she'll be able to get that out of her head. While she's playing. Right. I if, mean, she said it was not of any concern to her. I asked her that. Right. But she she absolutely has the game to do well. And somehow we have just flown right by the defending French Open champion, Garbine Muguruza. Because who knows what's going on Well, there. exactly. Who knows? At the time that she won last year, really, who knew? Because she wasn't having the best year. I guess we we have got to get used to these wild inconsistencies, right? Like, maybe she's kind of like a Kvitova, and she can get on a roll and beat anyone, and beat anyone in really impressive fashion, but also have some just unexplainable losses. Francesca Schiavone. Yeah. Who is guaranteed to be in the French Open draw after all this madness and fuckery and just absurd denial of wild cards to her especially in rome where she was the first italian grand slam female champion right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and guess who has a wild card to rome and playing in her home tournament they could only muster a pre-qualifying wild card to her Mm -mm -mm. which Mm -mm. i mean just disgusting so disrespectful so rude so out of order so nasty and so rude. And speaking of nasty and rude, Sarah Arani got a wild card to Rome. <laughs> but but Schiavone, to her credit, promptly boarded a plane on a wild card down to Colombia to play in Bogota, and she wins the whole damn thing without dropping a set. She beat and she beat seeds at this tournament. She beat Sieg, uh, Burton's, Larson, and then. Arua Barrena. Did I say that right? I think so. In the final. She did get a little bit of, of luck on her side in that 
she beat Burton's, who was playing her in the second match of the day. Mm. Burton's had played mm-hmm. twice in one day because of rain. And so maybe Kiki was a bit tired. Mm-hmm. And then Lara Arabarena, she picked up an injury in the second set of that final. At one point, she was serving for the second set, and then Schiavone won four games in a row to win the whole thing. It's been a long time for her. This is her last year on tour, and uh, she's doing the most to make sure she's going to play on these big stages. She hadn't won a main draw match on the WTA tour all year prior to Bogota. (laughs) Right. And you watch some of those highlights and you see some of the points and the beauty and the craftiness and the skill. Those slice backhand winners. Come on. Like those, that style of tennis and the way she's able to execute it, it's just a joy to watch. Mm -hmm. So there's, bottom line is there's endless possibilities to look forward to these next couple months. It's a brand new outlook for tennis. One thing I do hope that continues is that the old guard continues winning because that's been thrilling for me this year. And seeing Francesca fall to the ground and celebrate like Venus did after she beat Coco Vandeweghe at the Australian Open, those two images will last a lifetime for Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. So some other things that happened this week is that Borna Cioric won his first title. And in dramatic fashion, in Marrakech, he played Philip Kohlschreiber in the final. He was down the first set. He was down a break in the second, came back. Down a break in the third, came back. And over the course of the final, saved five match points to win his first title. Not everybody does that. This after how he almost lost in his first match as well. Mm. Good for him. And, you know, I haven't. we haven't seen him in a while. And I'm I'm just liking him more and more. In other words, he's grown up a little bit. You yeah, don't feel yeah, yeah, as yeah. much as a, a creep. And, well, he's put a little weight on. I think my major... Just the, the only thing that is holding me back is the buzz cut. <laughs> I just don't think that's a becoming look on almost anyone. Is that like the Balkan look, do you think? It seems to be. <laughs> Vicky Duval is back. She played the Indian Harbor Beach Challenger, which was a cute little court. I don't know if you saw any of the highlights. I saw some of Anz Jabor beating Olga Govortseva. But of note, with Vicky Duval's comeback, she beat Tomlanovich. And then she beat Jeannie Bouchard, who has humbled herself to the Challenger circuit, to the tune of a Love 6 3 6 defeat. <laughs> I'm, I did not mean to laugh, but your choice of uh, humbled herself, I, I liked. Because are, we, are we willing to go that far? Is that what this is? I'm, what are you thinking? I don't know. Well, you mentioned a very sinister outlook last episode about the whole Bouchard lawsuit. And, you know, does she have to look really bad to make the lawsuit convincing? I'm, I'm not going that far, personally, but... I think one way you can look at it if you're a fan is to say, okay, Jeannie has not had a great run. She's here at a challenger trying to get some matches in, trying to build confidence. She's not too arrogant to play in a tournament like this. I think that would be the optimistic outlook here. And of course, on that note, it's rather unfortunate that she couldn't win more matches. Having been to Grand Slam semifinals, a Wimbledon final, 
this is a, a player really searching for her form desperately. Maybe this is her Agassi 97. Perhaps. Now, is the bounce back going to be like Agassi's 99? Probably not. But Well, Jeannie's pre-97 wasn't quite well, fair what enough. Agassi's was. Okay, so propor- I, proportion. Yes. I get it. But really, more about Vicky Duval because she has played very, very sparsely since last year. She's recovering from cancer, and she just beat two name players. And Tomlanovich is also on, on the comeback from injury as well. You have a note here that Denara Safina was also there yeah, coaching. She was there. She's coaching a young Ukrainian player named Annalina Kalinina. And uh, she actually won a round at this challenger as well. And then she lost to Bouchard, which I believe was Bouchard's only win. So we'll be keeping an eye on Jeannie going forward. Uh, this seems to be an ever-developing story. The part of the show that I've been looking forward to most is or see what had happened was with all this Fed Cup drama. And I have here hashtag see what had happened was hashtag mean girls hashtag lol lol mm-hmm. in caps. Okay. Caroline Garcia announced at the beginning of the year that she was not planning on playing Fed Cup at all this year. She also a few months ago split with her doubles partner, Christina Mladenovic, which was a very successful pairing. So there are some there have been some big moves from Caroline Garcia this year that hasn't alienated her from many of her compatriots on the tour. So after Garcia announced that she wasn't playing this year, after there was all this controversy early in the year, Yannick Noah chose to name her to the team anyway for the upcoming Fed Cup tie. And this was after she had already announced that she was injured. Right. So at this point, it's not just that she doesn't feel like playing. She's also saying, I'm injured. Yeah, she made the semifinals in Monterey. And according to her, suffered this injury whilst playing Pavlichenkova in that semifinal. So she posted a statement in French announcing her withdrawal from Fed Cup, which she truly never entered because she had no intention of playing there. She was sort of uh, nominated against her will and talking about her injury. And so it was swiftly followed by three brief and cutting tweets from Parmentier, Mladenovic, and Cornet. All three of them tweeting in caps, LOL. That, that's it. That's it. At first it's like, why you gotta be so messy? Mm-hmm. But still kind of enjoying the drama of it. Still, I didn't quite get the full extent of it because all of this was happening in French. You know, you kind of have to sift through to find translations and reliable sources when you don't speak any French, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I took two years of French when I was like 10 or 11 and was horrible. <laughs> you mean you're not fluent now? I was horrible at it. So I know some stuff, but it's still a mystery. But then as the story keeps unfolding, you, you begin to realize that this is not just messy. It's really mean. And mean-spirited, and Garcia has been seriously affected by it. Mm-hmm. And she said as much in L'Equipe. Well, she said that this has been the worst moment of her career. I don't know if I want to call it bullying, because that's a little overused. But her former teammates' reaction to her announcement, and their reaction to her not playing Fed Cup this year, which has been, like, really biting. 
I think my favorite part of this whole thing is that Garcia was actually summoned to the French Federation headquarters to submit to a medical examination to, quote, prove her injury. Who do these people think they are? I don't know if you... Have you seen the most recent episode of Feud? Yes. Betty and Joan? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so this is actually exactly what happened to Joan Crawford, except Joan Crawford was definitely faking. She walked off the set of Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, claiming illness. She spent some time in the hospital. She was trying to leverage, basically, for what she wanted on set. And so the studio said, we will release you from your contract, or you can come in and submit yourself to a medical exam. And if you're deemed fit and you don't come to work, we will sue you. And that's exactly what happened. So so Miss Caroline Crawford has been summoned to the headquarters to uh, show that her injury is legitimate and whether or not she will be forgiven by the Federation. The French Federation is acting like a bunch of tyrants. Like, this is tyranny. They, they really are. They're trying to inspire patriotism by force, apparently. That's how the, the Federation works in France. This is 2017. It is a, a generosity for your best players to extend to you in playing Fed Cup and Davis Cup. It really is. Especially in, in non-Olympic years. If they're playing Fed Cup in an Olympic year, it's because they want to gain eligibility. Of course, there's Fed Cup stalwarts who are proud to play for their country and will do it every time it comes around. But listen, like tennis careers are finite. They're a little bit longer than they used to be. But this woman is trying to make waves in singles. She knows her career is not going to last forever. So She's still very young. She is, she is, yes. And there's also this business of the Federation having invested in players. And there should be a bit of a, a give back. It's a give and take, right? Okay. But that can't be every single tie. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be expected. And if there were a time for a player to take some time off, it would be now. In right. the first year after an Olympic year, in a developing singles career with lots of lots of promise. We've heard about Caroline Garcia as a top singles talent for years now. And maybe she's trying to deliver on that outside of the confines of having to extend yourself unnecessarily for Fed Cup. And let's face it, her record in Fed Cup far exceeds the majority of those other women. Mm-hmm. Like she's done her bit in the past, in the recent past, to further French Fed Cup results. And maybe it's just a case of these other three women not liking her. Maybe they just don't like her. Like they don't get along. But to air that dirty laundry in public, where they know, they know tennis Twitter is ready to pounce on that stuff, right? That that doesn't go unnoticed to them. They get it. Like they know fans are going to take hold of the stuff. To air that dirty laundry, to me, is messy, and it's mean. It's petty It is. It is. And it's not really putting the best look out there for women's tennis. Because while Serena and others are talking about, oh, how many friends we have on tour, hugging Mladenovic in the locker room, hanging out with Wozniacki on a beach, listening to hip-hop with Kuznetsova, all these things... You know, there are other players saying, well, we all hate each other. 
or picking on each other through Twitter. It's just, it's not cute to me. It's reinforcing really ugly tropes about women's sports that I don't like. And of course you're allowed to be human, but but why? Why do you need to do that? We also don't ask those questions of men. Like when they're... No, but we also don't excuse when men engage in this petty bullshit behavior either. I don't... I mean, I don't... I think the world at large excuses it, but I don't think that we do. Like, you and I. I would agree there. I'm just saying that there's mm. more to consider. No, I hear you. And I, I think that there's danger in giving women all this responsibility to represent women's tennis simply because they're women. I, I, I get that. And I accept that caveat. Sometimes people are just messy, mean, and petty. Right. Man or woman. And that seems to be the case with these <laughs> French women. <laughs> I mean, the really, the entire French Federation. The whole institution, right? And I, on that note, Dodin was also named to the French Fed Cup team. She also declined. And now they're threatening her with a five-year ban. If you recall, when this whole initial thing started, when it seemed like Mladenovic was calling out Garcia for not playing, way back when, and then Mladenovic came out and said, well, actually, I was talking about Doda, mm. right? Yeah. And then Mladenovic and Garcia split in doubles. They were like, well, hold up. Maybe it really was about them. And it seems from her statements that Garcia doesn't necessarily believe that it wasn't about her, that original tiff yeah and so this dodan thing has been going on for a while too it's not it's not just the first time that she's been looked upon badly for not playing fed cup Mm -hmm. but a five-year ban like is that just a little bit dramatic like what are you gonna do when say in three years there's no other young french players coming through the pipeline and mladenovic and garcia want nothing to do with you. Cornet has finally, like, driven herself to a heart attack on court. <laughs> and there's nobody left to represent French tennis except for world number 12, Doda. Mm-hmm. But sorry, she's in the midst of a five-year bind for bullshit. Or sorry, she's playing for Tennis Canada. Right? You know, <laughs> like, what stops some of these players playing for other countries? International rules. Like getting passports and citizenships right. and then also right. but ITF it's, rules. It's easier for citizens of certain countries yes. to make those changes. I mean, it would be a years long break. Right. Less than five, mm-hmm. potentially. But I see your point. Anyway, to put a bow on that, the Fed Cup situation is just doing the most in France right now. Oh, yeah. A Davis Cup as well. Like, just, just get it together. Because... Listen, it's not your players that are making you look bad. You talked about earlier having spoken to Caitlin Thompson. Yeah. Prior to recording this episode, you you were just actually completing your very first solo one-on-one. Right. And it actually came about because of some technical difficulties on our end, <laughs> though we weren't able to both be in the interview. But I had a great discussion with Caitlin Thompson, who is the publisher of Racket Mag. And also the co-host of the Main Draw podcast. So we are, you know, podcasting friends. There's some podcast solidarity going on. We've had her on the show before. We've been on the Main Draw. She's a fellow Canadian. And uh, definitely look out for that discussion. 
because she's previewing what's in the next issue of Racket Magazine and talking a little about where she would like to see the magazine to go. The two of you talked about a couple of pieces in that issue, one having to do with Maria, and then also one that was written by Andrea Petkovic, which still kind of breaks my heart because I, I had gotten a copy of that article ahead of time while I was in Charleston and had an interview prepared to talk to her about it, which would have been a nice kind of gelling right. of episodes. And it just never worked out. But you'll get to hear Caitlin talk about uh, Petkovic's involvement with Racket Mag for issue three and potentially going forward. And then the two of you had an interesting discussion about access in tennis media. Yeah, we... I guess because we're both, Caitlin has been a journalist for a long time, and I'm interested in these issues. We probably talked a little too much about journalism, about the sort of the sacrifices and pitfalls of maintaining access to your sources, uh, especially when those sources happen to be superstar athletes. You know, it. What what do you kind of sacrifice in the art of journalism? In that article about Maria... She's also likened to Taylor Swift, whereas Serena is Beyonce. That comparison is made, which we have done before on this podcast we have. with our tennis diva. So that was just exhilarating to read. And it's amazing how apt it is. And when when Caitlin kind of takes us through her thoughts on it, I, that was probably my favorite part of the interview. Yeah, I got a big laugh out of reading that one little segment where that comparison was made mm. because it's so appropriate. So definitely be on the lookout for that. Uh, the interview runs about a half an hour, and that will feature on episode 78, the next episode. And we also have another interview coming in a matter of minutes, because I chatted with Dan Ward, who is UNC Dan Ward on Twitter, and a regular photographer in Charleston. Every year he goes, he attends, and then for the last few years, he's also been credentialed press alongside Diane Elaine Dees, who is at Women Who Serve. He is her photographer on site. And so I chatted with him about some of the ins and outs and pitfalls of being a credentialed photographer at a tennis tournament. Pretty much answering a bunch of questions that I've always been curious about, from being a novice, very amateur photographer myself, just with my little small camera while I'm at tennis tournaments, just trying to uh, get an idea of what it's like to do that business at a tennis tournament. So let's hear Jonathan's interview with Dan Ward. Hi, Dan. Welcome to The Body Serve. Hey, Jonathan. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm up here in Toronto, and you are in North Carolina? I'm in North Carolina, home of Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody knows now how much I, I love uh, their number one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Number one with that with, comes with a pickle, yep. It does, which took me by surprise the first time I had it. I was like, what? Is that is that a pickle? Yeah, that's right, because if you don't get it with a pickle, you get the, the red sticker on the outside of the package saying they're pickle, and you feel like a fool. So you just, if you're like me, you get it with a pickle, and you just take it off, but you like the pickle juices on the, the bun, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you are on the body serve for your photography. On your Twitter profile, you said that for 51 weeks of the year, you're a, a professional pharmacist. And for the other week of the year, you're a professional tennis photographer. Yes, and professional in 
should be in quotation marks because uh, I I would say I'm a novice professional. Um, something I've learned over the years how to do. Um, I dated someone about eight or nine years ago that convinced me to. Uh, she convinced me to to buy some pretty nice equipment, and I thought I would never put it to good use until um, you know I've, I've been to the Family Circle Cup now, Volvo Car Open since 1991. I believe I've missed, I think, five tournaments during that span. In 2012, the either the WTA or the Family Circle, uh, I think the Family Circle was taking the lead of the WTA, and they passed a rule right before the tournament that said you could not bring in a camera with a detachable lens. So I get to the tournament site, walk through security, and they see it, and they act like it was a bomb, and I'm thinking, what's wrong? And they point to the sign and said, well, that wasn't the rule a couple of days ago. Anyway, so I did the you know, typical, more, I don't know to say typical American thing, but I cheated and I went <laughs> and, I, and I, I went outside the gate and I walked through the gate three times, kept bringing in pieces of the equipment because they were really going through, you know, the bags looking for cameras and everything else. <clears throat> anyway, so later on that day, someone I had befriended a couple of years prior, um, Diane Dees with, uh, women who serve blogspot.com and she's on Twitter at women who serve. She felt sorry for me. And so she runs to the media tent and she gets a media credential for me for the week. So I can actually have my camera and not, you know, think I was some terrorist inside the stadium, with the detachable camera. So that's really how it started. It was just a in the moment kind of thing. She just literally ran to the press room and got a, a press credential. Yeah. For you? She, that's right. She literally ran to the press room, got a blank credential without my picture on it, just so I could get through security. So, yeah, so that's kind of funny how, how it come about. The thing that I tell people that I've learned about tennis from being media at tennis tournaments is that you never quite feel like you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. It always feels like there's something else going on that you're missing. Yes. That's, that's entirely true. And I feel like I can't watch tennis, you know, for the mm-hmm. first, goodness, because this year I was there for, quali- for the qualifying Saturday and Sunday, and then through the Thursday, there's there's action on at least three courts, and there's some days there's action on five courts at one time, and, and Diane's never said, I want a photo or, of every match, but I feel like I'm kind of obligated to, to do that. So I am running, you know, looking at my phone, seeing who's, you know, who's still playing, who's about to end, you know, is, is someone in a medical timeout to race across the, you know, the complex to go get another photo. So yeah, I feel like I can't even enjoy the tennis until Friday, Saturday, and Sunday when everything's just on, you know, Billie Jean King, the, the stadium court. That kind of leads into my question that I had planned here about what your typical day on site is like. Because the days that I was there with you in Charleston, it looked like from you got on site, you hit the ground running, and you didn't stop. That's pretty accurate. My goal is every day, you know, go in, drop off my computer equipment, make sure everything's working, and I take off for the courts. And again, like I said, Diane doesn't make me, but I feel like I want to get a shot of every match if I can. And to me, my rest period, quote-unquote, is when I can go to every court, take at least something, and then make it back to the media tent, download the, the photos into a shared folder that, that Diane has access to, 
and then I can either you know eat finally lunch or you know maybe go to my box seats and go watch a couple of you know minutes of a match, and then the fun begins again. This year it wasn't so bad with the weather. There have been years where there's been so much rain and things were you know so compact, and I felt I really, I could not get the job done about going and get, you know getting photos from every court. Um, but there was some rain this year, as as you well know, and some hail. <laughs> yes. So, um, you say you're trying to get pictures of everybody, but are there others that you prioritize over others? I guess it's a personal thing. I like watching um, Andrea Pekovic, uh, Yelena Yankovic. Uh, I especially enjoy uh, Anastasia Rodionova just for the drama. This year I caught, uh, because of the, with, with Sasha Vickery, they were screaming at each other. Uh, I think that was a qualifying match. I think it was Sunday of qualifying. They uh-huh. were screaming at each other, and I had my cell phone ready for the handshake because I knew if that handshake was not going to happen because they, you know, Sasha Vicker, Vickery's calling her a 50-year-old woman, and all, <laughs> I mean, it, it was absolute bananas on that court, and and I, I was primed, ready for the for the non-shake, which of course happened when I tweeted that out. So I was so, I was so excited to catch that. So, Are there players that you find? photograph more easily or better than other players let me let me ask that in the reverse there are some players that are horrible picture that i can never get a good picture uh uh caroline wozniacki has won she has that scrunched up that's interesting she has a scrunched up face when she strikes the ball it's always a scrunched up face and i had heard this year for the first time in the media tent from an unnamed source that she you know, doesn't care for photographers that publish the scrunched up face look. They would, she would rather have photos when she's in between points or getting ready to, to strike a ball. But in the process of her hitting the ball, it, it is, it's just it's, it's the ugly face. Um, with some of the funnier ones is um, Sarah or Ronnie, when she's about to serve, she that opens mouth. the mouth. The ma- yeah, the, the mouth where you can stick the tennis ball in her mouth. And, it, you know, I can't get it from the courts. So I always have to crawl up to the second level and, and scoot down and, and, you know, get down as close as I can from up high. It's the best shot. Love it. I love how she looks when, when she does that. But a lot of other ones, I mean, you know, they're, like I said, let me think, Wozniacki, there's um, Pekovic usually has her mouth open to an extent when she's striking the ball. Um, but some players like um, Lucy Safarova used to wear a visor really, really, really low on her face. It was mm. always really hard to get her to look up. Um, Mona Bartle is very hard for her to just look all look up from the clay. She's always staring at, at the ground. She never makes eye contact. One of my little funnier things is just trying to get chair empires to smile. You know, I'll be across the, the, the way from Cater Nudy and I'll look at him and you know, put my finger on the corner of my mouth and draw it up like smile, and he never cracks a smile. And I'm like, dude, really? He cracks never a cracks a smile? No, no, I can never get him to crack a smile. Now, there is like, he has a fan club in Charleston. These ladies cat call him the whole time. He gets, he gets tickled over that and starts giggling. But yeah, I can never get him to crack a smile. So, um, what's the name of the umpire, the lady umpire, Esther? Ava Esteraki? Yeah, she will give. I can get her a smile. She 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 can uh, she be a good smile. So I, I enjoy when she's down there. And I don't think she's been there the past couple of years. But uh, so yeah, so I mean, just you know, like when Serena's down there, it's always 
good photo. Venus is a good photo. But it's just funny when you hear when players like, please don't shoot while I'm uh, hitting the ball. One thing that happened this year, one of the photographers actually, you know, was saying, why are you taking photos of, um, of Sigmund when she was doing a medical timeout? I'm like, well, I personally don't have a problem with it because it's, I mean, it's nothing invasive. It's not like her legs are spread open for me to shoot up her dress. I mean, I would never do that. But, you know, I just take a couple photos of that. But this year, of course, she was looking dead at me when I was taking one of the photos. And she looked at me and kind of rolled her eyes and looked the other way. I'm like, oh, I guess she, <laughs> she kind of realized what I was doing. <laughs> uh, but that's an unwritten rule with the other photographers. I, I really don't know. But, um, hmm. So you got the sense that it was an unwritten rule, that you shouldn't be doing that? Yeah, that you really probably shouldn't. I mean, that's some of the, you know, because there's a, a bunch of different photographers down there. You have your, you have the photographers for the tournament. You have the big photographers that shoot for themselves, that travel to different tournaments to take photos to sell. You have the ones for the press, like for the AP or for the Daniel Island News or the Charleston newspaper, you know, they have their, what they need to shoot. And they have like the, I call myself one of the wild cards where I'm not getting paid. I do this for fun. I do this for a friend that needs photos. So that's part of the, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? Politicalness of the photographer's pit is for the longest time, I felt like some of the photographers were very friendly to me because they felt, and I finally asked one of them point blank, like, why does like this one person not speak to me? And they said, well, it's because this person feels that if I wasn't there, that Diane could actually buy this person's photos from them. So I'm technically taking money out of their pocket, like money, like potential business. And I explained to them that's not the case because if Diane did not use my photos, then she would take them herself. And so, you know, there's, there's not, there's no reason to, to not speak to me or think I'm in, you know, intruding on your space or, or what have you. It's, you would never think a photographer's bench would be, <laughs> you know, people jockeying for position. And... I've never been to tennis's press as a photographer, but I've definitely noticed that there is some, some behind the scenes snobbery, standoffishness. It's just a it's a Absolutely. it's a different kind of world from print journalism. Absolutely, I mean, for the ones that um, have traveled the world, who've shot at, at multiple Grand Slams, who love to name drop, who love to say, "Oh, I know this person is friend. They got me into the French Open. Oh, I know this person." And you know, we went to dinner one time, and you know, you had the, that crowd. But you had the down to earth ones. I mean, I, I would like to say I'm one, that, you know, more down to earth than I. Just, gang down there is just to me it's so cool to be so close to the players but yeah this year it, it was it was very different um it was a different tournament uh i noticed on the saturday when the power shares event was down the the event had McEnroe and james blake philippusis and um andy roddick playing uh-huh. when, we, when i went out on the court to shoot it i noticed that the the television cameras were on the opposite side that they normally were and there was only one bench normally there are three benches side by side by side and i thought oh well you know it's probably the power shares people you know they, they didn't know which side to put the cameras on i didn't really think much of it well then sunday the cameras they pulled the cameras off court because they weren't shooting anything that day but that monday when uh the first round uh, started 
and I walked out on court and I said, uh-oh, cameras are still on this side. And we thought that was going to be an issue, and it truly was because there was just no room for us. I mean, like I said, usually it's by the Friday, Saturday, especially Sunday of the finals, those three benches are absolutely jam-packed with people. And, so a- and it, it became a problem this year where we actually moved the bench over. So we had two benches instead of three. Um, but I was actually, while shooting the um, doubles final with Staffaruva and Marikin, the photographer come up and poked their finger in my back and told me to get up very forcefully. And, I, and I'm not, not like, hey, you're sitting in my seat. You know, if you mind moving to this other bench, it was more of like, get the, get the F up. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm like, no, you're not. And I started getting loud, <laughs> and one of the tennis channel uh, photographers was like looking at me, like, "Oh God, I'm in the middle of a boxing match. Cause I, boxing match because I love to swing and hit this person." But why? Why did that photographer feel they were more entitled to that spot than you? Well, this, well, they, the the tournament has the right to put down tape on the benches for a particular outlets, whether it be national media, local media. You, you name it. And I just have happened to be sitting near the tape of an outlet. I wasn't on it, for the, <laughs> just to be 100% correct. I was not <laughs> on it. But uh, I was not. But it was, it was the bench that was nearest the net, so I'd have a better chance of shooting both sides. The second bench that was brought over this year was put farther, oh gosh, which way is that? Farther north on the northern side of the, of the, of the stadium. So it wasn't as good of a photo. So I was trying to sit at the bench with the best photo. Like I said, this person come in and swoop down, and, and they had every right to sit there, but it was just a way of, you know, asked to me. I just, I really took personal offense to it because, one, I'd been there for nine days. I was there the entire time. This person was only there for their second day. And I get that. I get that they had the right to be there because of the, what the tournament decided that they were important enough, quote unquote, to sit where they were, you know, where their tape was that they could sit there. But I just, I take offense to the fact that, you know, I've provided so much free advertisement to this tournament through Diane's website that, you know, you can respect me enough that you could ask me politely to move and not just put your finger in the small of my back and tell me to get the F up, more or less. So that was a bit of a an inside look into what can be the underbelly of being a professional photographer at tennis tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, again, it's just different. It, you know, it's a different experience there than like when I went to, I went to the, I went to Roland Garros in 2015 and, and I read the rules about what, what equipment could come into a tournament. And I knew that my lens was less than 20 centimeters. When I got to the, to the security, they started screaming, professional, professional, I can't speak French. And I'm saying, does anyone speak English? And my broken French that I could get out. I finally could get into the tournament because they realized that it actually brought, brought a ruler and measured the, you know, the lens. <laughs> so I not a professional lens, but I'm allowed to go in there. So that was cool. And it wasn't a problem in Australia. Um, Australia opened up there in 2011. It was great. Very, very accommodating. I would love to be credentialed down there, even though I hear it's quite a, a hassle. I'm not a hassle. It's just it's very difficult to get credentialed at, at the Grand Slam. I hear Wimbledon is impossible. One of the one of my fellow photographers told me that they only have, I think, 70 or 80 photographers for the whole event. And if you haven't 
shot for them for 20 or 25 years. There's no reason to even ask. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> so tell me this. What kind of shots are you looking to take? You talked earlier about Caroline. She's not necessarily the most photogenic to, to take pictures of doing action shots. So are you trying to do more action shots, expressive shots? What I do both. And I actually, for the first few years, I pretty much all I did was you know, trying to get ball on string. That was my first thing, you know, when I was credential. I just want to get the ball the ball on the string and then the person actually looked pretty decent. Well after I got pretty good at that, then I tried to, you know, find other action shots that I could shoot, you know, right before they strike, after they strike. Now I find that the more interesting photos are right after a point. And of course it's a coin flip of who wins the point. Am I going to be pointing in the in the correct direction? Like mm-hmm. this year, you like Yelena Yankovic, every year she's there, she falls. Well, this year I happen to not be pointing in the correct direction. So as I'm shooting her opponent, which I can't remember offhand who she was playing, but I hear everyone gasp, and of course I swing the camera over and she's getting up. I'm like, dang, gone it! You know, I was, like, I was right there. You know, just, just you never know. I mean, I can catch some of the best photos when their rackets or you know, do you shoot the person who's losing when they're really getting killed because sometimes you can get a good racket throw or do you shoot the person that's winning you know but some of the folks that win they're so expressionless you know it's pretty pointless this year i tell you jonathan the, the, i, I kind of knew who yelena ostapenko was kind of not really but i think i could quit my job and take photos of her the rest of my life Before we finish up, do you have a place where some of the listeners to the show can check out your stuff? Uh, yeah, I um, my Twitter handle is UNC Dan Ward. Um, I, I posted some photos uh, from the tournament. If anyone wanted to send me a you know a, 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 a message saying, "Hey, do you have any photos of so and so?" I'll look back through my archives and send you whatever I have. I had someone this year wanted all my you know, Yankovic photos. I have a lot of people from Serbia who like my photos and shoot me a message and, and want them. That's fine. I mean, like I said, I don't charge. I enjoy it. If I have some good ones, I'll be, I'll be glad to share. Uh, like I said, I, I take it for the enjoyment of watching tennis. I play tennis. I have, I have a good time, even though it's, <laughs> it can be a little political down there on the court. <laughs> what, him to eat. Do you have so, your own blog or website? I don't. I actually don't. Um, Diane uh, has all my photos and she uses a lot of them. So she's again at um, womenwhoserve.blogspot.com, or you can follow her at, at women who at women who serve, I believe. And uh, like I said, she uses a lot of them, so which is fine. I, I've been told by some of the other photographers I need to have a place to actually shelve them and let people look at them. Or sometimes I've heard that I forget the website that you go to, and I can put them in like a vault, and someone wants them, they'll pay you. Maybe I should look into that. Yeah, you for sure. You you never know when it would come in handy, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you never know. So At the just, very least, to have a, a portfolio of sorts so people can see how awesome your pictures are. Yeah, yeah, well, sometimes they're awesome. If you, if you could only see some of the bad ones, that I should, <laughs> you may not you may how not much, say that. How much but, of the pictures that actually make it to Diane's site or the ones that you circulate on Twitter are the pictures as they were taken? How much editing do you do to get the image that you want out there? Oh, actually, like, like cropping or, or correcting the image? Yes. Is that what you're meaning? Yes. I actually, I have Lightroom and Photoshop. I rarely, rarely do it. Just because I take so many. Um, every tournament, usually it's four, usually around 4,000 photos that, you know, when, you're, when I'm holding the shutter down and it's taking, you know, six to seven frames a second, usually I can get a good shot. I don't have to worry about light balance and all that, all that jazz. I mean, I'll do it. But, you know, that's just, when you go through so many, I just, you know, I go back to the media room and, and media tent and just thumb through them and find a couple of good ones. And... Dan, thanks for taking the time to come talk with us. Thank you, and I appreciate it. And look, real quick, to piggyback on the last two episodes. Okay. Number one, maybe it was when you said about some of the how people were talking down there. It was funny the first day or two that after I met you, you kept saying, What? And I kept repeating myself. And after that podcast, I'm like, gosh, is it, was it me that couldn't speak? You oh, know? Did you <laughs> know? Did I really do that? Yeah. Yeah, you did it a few times. It was kind of funny. Yeah, I don't think I had that much of a Southern. I mean, I know I'm from the South. I mean, <laughs> but what's funny is I went to um, I went to UNC Chapel Hill, and I feel like a, a lot of words I say changed because I, when I went to Carolina, people couldn't understand me when I say oil, like oil. In your car, they're like, what? And so I would say, oil? You know, I try to, you know, uh-huh. keep my up talk, you know, some of the words that people couldn't understand me at all. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, the, the picture that I called of you and I put on my Twitter page of you uh, fixing your hair, oh, that's the best. That was the funniest <laughs> thing. And, and I will tell, it's James, right? Yes. When you were at the Venus interview, when Venus Williams sat down, I noticed you sat up in your chair like your posture changed, everything <laughs> changed. You, you were nervous. I didn't see you shake. I'll be honest, I didn't see the shake. But you, you asked, you asked questions like a pro. I've seen you know, people there ask questions for years and years. So you did a really good job. But, but as soon as Queen Venus sat down, I mean, all of a sudden, your your back was like uh, was upright. You know, you want to make that first impression. I just, I just kind of chuckled. Yeah, shit, shit was about to go down. I had to get myself ready. I wanted to play with the dog so bad. Uh, I know, right, Harold? Yeah, Harold. I wanted to play with him so bad, but I I was kind of scared of approaching him. I didn't know what she would say. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Thank you so much. Take care. You have a good night. You too. Thanks to Dan for coming on the show and sharing his thoughts. That brings us to the end of episode 77. Thank you all for listening. As always, give us feedback. Tell us what you liked, didn't like iTunes reviews, always appreciated. You can find The Body Serve on Twitter at The Body Serve, on Instagram at The Body Serve as well. I'm Jonathan at SportsCribeCA on Twitter. And I'm James, and you can find me at ElliotJMR on Twitter. Two L's, two T's. Till next time.